0: Hi, my name is James Ramos. I'm a licensed general contractor at Ramos Design Build. While my core business and expertise is construction and development, I own several businesses in two other arenas,
1: real estate, including sales, finance, and insurance, and construction product companies like
0: cabinetry, flooring, an interior design firm that creates jaw-dropping impressions when someone walks through the door. These three areas allow me to be a better builder and solely focused on luxury homes valued at over $1 million. We service every facet along the residential home journey. Buy, sell, design, build, finance, furnish, and maintain. I have won 10 National Aurora Awards for standout kitchen and bath design and build projects. And the Ramos family name is synonymous with thousands of successful residential and commercial construction projects in the Southeast United States since 1956. Let Ramos Design Build help you with the home of your dreams today. Call 813-259-1111 or go to RamosDesignBuild.com. Let me help you make your dream a reality. The real estate market is open. Ramos Design Build is Tampa Bay's
2: premier construction company. This is a program where the real estate experts are live. Whether buying, selling, building, or designing, Ramos has the answers. Now, here's the area's best resource for all things real estate, James Ramos. An all new edition of the Moo With Me program, Dan Maduri, joined by host uh, James Ramos of Ramos Design and Build in and JamesRamos.com. Sitting with us, James, is a, a person that you know very well. Uh Gra- Graham Ramos of iMortgage and Loan Depot is right with us right now. I've
1: known him for a while. You've known him for been a while. Like I mean, years. the last names,
2: yeah, yeah the, I was gonna say the last names might uh, throw very people familiar. into a yep. certain direction, it's been but a long uh, twenty-six years. <laughs> I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> How you doing, bud? I'm
2: doing great. Hey, doing thanks great. for coming on.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, one of the things that I wanted to say, Graham, is I'm so impressed by you, not because you're just my nephew, but you've done a wonderful job, been in the mortgage industry for two years. Um, you're working for my brother, Paul, your uncle, and at a loan depot, and, you're, and you've done a bang up job. But what I wanted to talk about specifically is the fact that you are a millennial, you're 26 years old, you've been in the business two years. You took this job and there's really no base. I think you got a little base, for a few months or what have you but mm-hmm. but it's a commission based job you know it's yeah. reap what you sow you know there's no ceiling which is great but there's also you know no paycheck if you're <laughs> sitting at home or you know yeah. sitting in front of your computer all day <laughs> tell us a little bit when you were in college and then what you were doing and then and then tell us about the transition from fun college life to uh-huh. business
2: well one thing it's colleges with an <laughs> s plural um, i actually i went to university of tampa played baseball there for about 2 years got a red shirt uh, mostly because I was stuck as a first baseman, and I'm five foot ten, hundred 100, actually at that point I was 140 pounds. So if you know anything about baseball, that's not the body type for first baseman. <laughs> um, first baseman's the big donkey-looking guy, yeah. the biggest guy on the field. So transferred out of there after my red shirt, uh, went and played baseball at a junior college called Santa Fe up in Gainesville, close to your alma mater. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then um, after that, I went to a school that, if anyone knows it, I'll be highly impressed, but Lander University in the sticks of South Carolina. And then, um, yeah, so I played baseball throughout college, and then it was a blast. You know, met some of the best friends that I could ever wish to meet.
1: Um, You got an opportunity to play bro-paul?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after after Lander, uh, I got picked up by the New York Yankees. Had a little stint in rookie ball.
1: That was fun, watching you in Tampa.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was the best part. I was back in Tampa. So we'd have like 10 fans every game. Nine of them are Ramoses. (laughs) 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 Just cheering on the little guy. And then um, after that, you know, next year made it about halfway through spring training, got released, and then I got picked up by an indie ball team up in Michigan. Right where we actually won the uh, Indie Ball World Series that That year. That was fun. That was an absolute blast. That was probably the most fun I ever had playing baseball. Yeah.
1: So tell us about the transition going into the business world, especially a commission-based job.
2: Yeah, so it was kind of interesting. Did you Um, know what
1: you were getting into?
2: I had no idea what I was getting into. I was playing a kid's game until I was 24. And then you go to a spot where you're 100% commission. um, You're pretty much starting your own business. I mean, that's the best way to do it. You're starting from scratch. Um, I didn't really have any... I mean, I had connections just because I'm fifth generation right. Tampa, yep. but I didn't have any really real estate, just hard ties into there. Yeah. Uh, one, you know, sound like
1: a lot of your friends are buying two, $300,000 exactly. houses. Exactly.
2: I mean, they're all my right. age, just, right. you know, barely making it. And um, they're yeah, renting, renting
1: apartments for $3,000 a month. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Driving Beamers. <000 laughs> <a month. laughs> <laughs> Driving Beamers, living off mommy and daddy. Um, yeah. But uh, one of the best things was that. And, you know I contribute my parents to it is once I pretty much signed and played baseball you know professionally they uh they, I don't want to say they cut me off but I was you know just as a pride thing just kind of living off what I was making which isn't much yeah <laughs> um with the Yankees it was like seven hundred dollars a month and then playing. Indie ball is about five hundred dollars a
1: month. That's a humble experience. Yeah, it? so very yeah.
2: humbling. Um but, but a yeah, great experience. Great, absolutely great. So I mean
1: the similarities that you had in business, you know, although it's obviously different. You're mm-hmm. playing a ball game, you know, versus business, but there are a lot of similarities. Oh, especially yeah. Especially with the type of you know, pay structure you're on.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um that's what I have to contribute my success to, honestly, is baseball. Like I said, I am not the biggest guy. So I had to work ten times harder than everyone else. And I also I mean, I was talented, but I mean, if I didn't spend an extra two hours at the field, I, w- I would be terrible, you know, every single day. Yeah, him. I mean, I
1: can remember back, um, he was 14 and Graham played, I believe you were 14. You played in the Junior League World Series. You guys ended yeah, 13 up winning, time. yeah, winning 13, 13. You ended up winning, um, the U S and then y'all won the world championship, Mm -hmm. but it was a, Palmacy, a little league. And it was a combination of Palmacy, a little league and Bayshore at the time. But I remember watching you on ESPN and the commentator had said, you know, that little guy, he's, he's, he's the hardest working guy on the team. (laughs) And he kept on, he was just kept on going about how hard you're working. And you have, you know, ever since I've known you, since you were a little kid, I mean, you were always the hardest working guy, you know? So you out, lasted people you outwit people yeah. and over the course of time you know you see you know as you evolve and you go through different things you know different periods of your life you know the number one thing is basically to keep pressing outworking, you know um yeah uh, never be satisfied once you yeah, hit your like, goal make a new one like the basics that we we have we have breakfast a lot together uh, graham and i you know with with my little son aiden but but you get into work early Mm -hmm. you stay at work late. (laughs) Yeah. You pick up your phone when people call. Oh, yeah. I mean, what are the other things that, you know, with all this technology out, you know, what are the things that you've been able to do that's been a proven... um,
2: Well, technology has been great for the mortgage business. Um, I mean, one of the things we can do is, you know, know, if you go online, you can instantly do a prequel. You know, I don't have to take notes over the phone. Sometimes people like to do that or meet face-to-face. But it's actually, you know, diminishing... A lot of people's business because they're getting so comfortable with technology. It's easier for them to shoot a text message or an email than pick up the phone and call. I right. mean, you're dealing with one of the biggest investments of your life, and you're going to be texting your your yeah, loan originator. That d- makes no make sense. sense.
1: Yeah, no sense I at mean, all. I mean, to set up a meeting, maybe. Yeah, set up um, a meeting to communicate important things. You yeah, know, I mean, almost, there's, almost you have to match the respect of what they're going through absolutely with the type of communication that you're. That you're delivering
2: because a lot of loan officers that I see they get they get immune to it and what I mean by that is they're looking at these houses they're looking at these loans every single day you know forty to sixty hours a week a day or sorry forty to sixty hours a week and it gets to the point where to them it's just numbers now it's not someone trying to buy a house so they just you know they see two hundred thousand they're just they don't realize that's a two hundred thousand dollar investment they just see that number two hundred thousand right. They don't realize that, okay, this person's trying to get into, you know, either their starter home, dream home, wherever the case might be. And they don't want to they can't even pick up the phone and talk to them just because they realize they're relying too much on technology. And that's where I kind of try to set myself apart. You know, I use technology when it's there, but I mean nothing can beat it. it's just a good old fashioned phone call. Just, hey, just checking in, just let you know you know your loan's doing fine. Something as simple as that.
1: Well, we're here with Graham Ramos. He's a loan consultant with Lone depot he's licensed in florida and texas and we're talking to him he's my nephew um so tell us a little bit about your family so you're the youngest youngest of three siblings right Uh uh-huh two older sisters okay two older sisters they're they're drivers as well oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so tell us about um tell us about them so yeah they're (laughs) they're growing up in the ramos family
2: oh yeah that's that could be an hour conversation right there (laughs) um yeah, my two older sisters, I, I like to say I'm a little combination of both of them. Um, my oldest sister, Mallory Ramos, or Mallory Brannon, um, she's the hardest working individual I have ever met in my life. And then Ansley Ramos, or Ansley Castillo now, she's just the most just pure talent. I mean, just charisma, you know, athleticism, just she can put her mind to anything and do it. So I'm a little combination of both. Like, I don't work as hard as Mallory. I try to but that's just physically impossible (laughs) and then i did get some of ansley's just you know a little charisma and just her right you know just athleticism and talent but yeah they're they're both just i mean they're my sisters i love them to death um you know they're my role models yep but yeah that's that's pretty much the gist of them
1: and your dad will ramos he's the owner and ceo of architecture talon marble he's been in the biz a long time he's my oldest brother I think that's and, been around
2: since 1956, yeah. When Nanu, yeah. started it,
1: yeah. He's and, and then how has he impacted you? I mean, we could talk about for days, but give us a little snippet. So, if
2: anyone knows me and my dad, <laughs> we um, we had you know, obviously the, a great relationship, but he was hard on me. Um, he didn't,
1: I remember, yeah. <laughs> you turned out pretty well, though,
2: <laughs> yeah. And I contribute a lot to him not taking it easy on me, um, not just letting me. You know, live the rich kid's dream. Um, You know, putting me on a budget, not just handing anything to me. Um, I always had to be doing three things. And the three things, I'm sorry, I always had to be doing two out of three things. And the three things was either school, um, a sport, which for me was baseball, or I had to work and work for him. So if I I had, I always had to be doing two of those things. So if I was in school and playing baseball, I didn't have to work. If I was in school and it's not baseball season, I was in school and I was working. So I was always doing two of those things. And he just never he was never easy on me. And when I was young, I couldn't understand that. But looking back at it now and being a little bit more mature, um, I mean, I'm I'm just so grateful. That's how he raised me.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I know your mom, Darren, mm-hmm. she's awesome. She's been the she's biggest been heart you Yeah, absolutely. She's been a mainstay in your family. So I'm here with Graham Ramos. He's a loan consultant with Lone Depot. He's been in the biz for two years. He's knocking it out of the park. He's licensed in Florida and Texas. Um, glad to have you, Graham. You're going to be back in a few minutes after these messages. Thank you. you me this is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. We're back here in the studio with Graham Ramos. Graham Ramos is a Loan Depot loan consultant here in South Tampa. Tampa, Florida. He's licensed in Florida and Texas. Glad to have you here, Graham. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, so in the previous portion of the, we were talking about your family, Mallory, Ansley, Wilford, your dad, my brother, and your mom, Darren. Um, Darren came from a great family, the Crowder family and all those things that, you know, I saw as a youngster, cause I was, I'm 13 years as, you know, younger than, than Wilfred. I, I remind your dad all the time. about. That. <laughs> I know you do. And, um, <laughs> I'm the youngest of five. He's the oldest. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that Connie and I, uh, loved about your parents is that how much tough love they delivered to you. <laughs> you oh know? yeah. You may have not have liked it during the time, but we have not two kids and we're trying to raise them similar to what. Uh, Wilfred and Darren have done, and and um they've done a bang up job. But you know, moving from you know your family and some of the attributes, so hard work, um, diligence, um, you know, resiliency. You know, some of those things I don't think most people realize, but they're they're hard to attain. You know, those mm-hmm. competencies, and being able to you know develop a skill set. You know how to type, how to communicate. Um, you know, math and things like that—a little bit different than a core competency. So when you look at these millennials today, Graham, mm-hmm. um, and you're competing against not just millennials, because there's probably not that many people your age in the business, right?
2: No, um, the average age of someone with my job title, you know, a loan originator, is 52. Yeah. Average age of my yeah. company, I think, is 54.
1: It's yeah, it's older. Yeah, you know? it's an older so, crowd. So when you look at that, I mean, you 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 get those lists. It's sort of like a scoreboard. Right, I mean, yeah. you're you're on the list, and you're either in the first place, or you're in the middle, or you're last place. Yeah, Ricky Bobby. So <laughs> you're not
2: you're not first or last.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me some of the things. I know you talked about it a little a little bit in the first portion. Just tell me some of the things that come to mind. You know, for the listeners out there, um, as far as working in a you know in any type of business, but specifically in a business with no ceiling, commission base, reap what you sow.
2: Well, there's one thing that we can all control, you know, and that's how hard you work. Like no one, no one can take that away from you. You can either choose to work hard or not work hard. I mean, there's no middle ground there. Um, unfortunately, I don't want to just stereotype and put every you know millennial into this category, but I feel like that's getting lost. Um, people are more comfortable just getting that salary job. They know how much they're going to make. They budget it, and they just kind of just in this lull of just going through the motions of life. You know, you have to, if you want to make something of yourself, you can sit at this desk job for 10 years, 20 years, and finally get that promotion where now you're actually making some decent money. You can go out and do it on your own now. Um, that's how I want to be. Um, I don't want to, you know, I, I like being my own boss. I mean, I do have my branch manager and my Uncle Paul. But, you know, if you're producing, what can they really yeah, tell they're you? Yeah, they're but, mentors.
1: But as far as they're not calling you up and making sure you're in the office early or staying exactly. late or telling you... You know, they're just giving you guidance when when you need it.
2: And being young, which is what you need, exactly. You I know, mean, but, I I contribute a lot of my success to uh, John Pettit and uh, Paul Ramos, but yeah, you, you hit it on the nail right there. Um, you don't have work hours, you don't have a structure, so being young and immature, this isn't the business for you. You're not going to wake up early if no one's telling you, hey, you have to be at and at work at nine what's going to make you get into work early? I mean, I I get into work before eight every single morning, sometimes way earlier than that. And just when I get done with work, you're always working because if you go out, you know, have a drink or go get dinner, you know, everyone's a potential client because I mean, pretty much everyone wants to buy a house. So you always have to look professional. You always have to be quote unquote on your best behavior. It's not just a nine to five job. It's a 24 seven job. I mean, it's all about your reputation.
1: How How about like the basics, just answering your phone? That's huge. Um, if you're in the mortgage world and you <laughs> I mean, just it answer, it sounds your, silly, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's answer your phone. That's the first but, thing that it's, uh, John. It's like Pettis- answer your phone. I mean, that's what we, we tell the agents: answer the phone. Yeah, like n- people do not like to leave voicemails, especially no. if you're dealing with the most, you know, important purchase of their of their lives yeah. for their families. It's the the largest investment that one can make for their family. I mean, and people are, you know, putting them on voicemail. Oh, it, yeah. It, it drives people bananas. The
2: first, I think it was, it was either the first day or the first week. That was, I asked my branch manager, John Pettit. I said, hey, what's really going to just make me stick out there? And his response was, just answer your phone. You'll be in the top 10%. And I laughed. <laughs> That's crazy. I laughed at him. And then I just, I just kept answering my phone. Even if it was going to be a bad phone call, good phone call, you just answer your phone and people would be like, wow, you actually answered. I expect you to call me back in three days and it's it's crazy how i mean like i was telling earlier that technology has kind of ruined that just basic human touch and just how important that is
1: i mean when you look at it i mean you're you're 26 years old like we mentioned i mean it, you know i think it started around your time where everybody was getting a trophy <laughs> yeah. when, when, when did that come up like oh we we want to make sure that the losing team gets a trophy too because they're going to be upset <laughs> they're going to be sad they're
2: feeling if they they're don't have hurt.
1: if they don't have a trophy to put on their you know Put on their dresser. Like, you didn't win. Why
0: exactly. should you get a trophy?
1: Yeah. You know, get get a piece of cake. You know, we're not going to deprive people of food or pizza or something. They're going to have a team party. But they should not have a trophy. My kids mm-hmm. come home with trophies. They haven't won anything. They come home with ribbons. They haven't won anything.
0: <laughs> They're like yeah.
1: fourth, fifth place. It's like, what is this? You know, and it's like that generation who you're competing with, it's almost good and bad. I mean, in a sense, it's good for somebody motivated like you, because that's who you're competing against. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, you know, this is everyone, but, but the point is it's, it's true. It's clear and present and, and it's bad from, you know, you know, from a, you know, standpoint of employment in general and, you know, business in the U S because, you know, we have a big momentum of of youngsters that have grown up where they're constantly needing these rewards and things and at the end of the day you got to be motivated and self-motivated self-driven and hope to create your own agendas your own Mm -hmm. scorecards and keep yourself intact or on track rather
2: yeah it's pretty much it's delaying our generation it's delaying the maturity because we're still expecting like hey boss even though i messed up this spreadsheet Can you at least still tell me I did a good job? Yeah. No, you didn't do a good job (laughs) because you messed it up. If you didn't mess it up, I would tell you good job. Um, But yeah, and I even see that in, you know, some of the other, like some of my other coworkers in there, you know, they'll have a loan and it closes and they're just kind of waiting for John just to pat them on the back and say, hey, good job. But that is your job. Yeah. (laughs) Like your job is to close the loan. So, you know, people just want to get rewarded for doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, a lot of a lot of loan originators, when they go and make their you know their sales pitch to a realtor, they'll say, "Hey, James Ramos, I have the best rates. We're going to close on time, and you know I I respond well." well that's our job. Why? Well, how does that add any value? It's like, okay, thanks for telling me what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's like a waitress saying, "Hey." I just it's brought your like, food here. Tell yeah, me, it's thank a you.
1: D- delineation between the basics and the above and beyond. Well, we're here with Graham Ramos. He's a loan originator. Um, his his actual title is a loan consultant with Loan Depot. He's licensed in Florida and Texas. And we're talking about um, a little bit about his history, a little bit about his family. We're talking about business of a youngster. He's 26 years old. He's been in the business two years. He's knocking out of the park. So tell us, Graham, um, as far as like a specific situation that was the most challenging uh mortgage that you had to get done oh, i mean man. anything that that was you know was unsurmountable i mean were you able to you know give it give a quick story of something where you took in um some folks and you're like this is going to be tough based on them being um you know uh, maybe working for themselves or yeah you know, situations and showing you know the diligence of you you know delivering on it anything come to mind a lot comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I see you. I see your eyes going back and forth. You're like, I don't know which story to tell. Yeah. You don't have to say names.
2: Uh, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I won't say any names. But um, <laughs> there was a deal with a guy who um, makes a whole lot of money and was going through a divorce. in, I think it was like 2015. So he tried to jerry rig his tax returns to not show that much. And then
1: it comes his, back to haunt him.
2: Well, it came back to haunt him. And then in 2016, he showed his normal amount, and there was about a million-dollar difference. Million-dollar difference of how much he made.
1: And this is already after you've submitted?
2: No, no. This is before. He already okay. got turned down by three other um, lenders. Okay. okay. Well, luckily, that was something that we can do because we have our own jumbo program. He so was buying a, like a $2 million house, and um, luckily, we could just use one-year tax returns. So we just used his 2016 tax returns. Didn't even look at the 2015 tax returns, and we got it closed in think under 30 days. I mean, it was like 28 days, but just some kind of crazy loan. that's self-employed? Self-employed, no, so. own his own business.
1: Those are always the most challenging, right? Because, yeah. I mean, people say, hey, how much do you make? And you're like, oh, I make $10,000 a month, but it's like before the write-offs that you're yeah. down to like $1,500 a month? <laughs> or is it well, after obvious. the write-offs?
2: It's obvious they're self-employed, they make a lot of money, but everything has to be documented. And that's what some people don't understand, just because... They're not in the mortgage business.
1: It's like a catch twenty-two. Exactly, I mean, you, you can't you can't save a dollar on taxes and then expect to go and get the mortgage when you want it.
2: Yeah. So if you're gonna I mean, if you're gonna try to save on your tax on your on your taxes, it's gonna haunt you when you try to buy a house. Right. So you know for that when you're going up to buy a house, either a year or two years before you think you're gonna buy, just show how much you really make. You know you're gonna pay for it in the taxes, but that's pretty much what you have to do to get into the house
1: good deal good deal Graham Um, I'd love you to come back in the in the back half of the hour if you'd like to stay absolutely all right great well that's a deal so I'm here with Graham Ramos this is James Ramos at jamesramos.com with move with me radio we're going to be back after these messages and a little bit of news catch you in a bit This is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. Glad to have you back. We're here with Graham Ramos. Graham is a licensed mortgage loan consultant with Loan Depot. Glad to have you, Graham. Thanks for having me. So Texas. I was in Texas. Oh, sh- shoot, weekend? the last yeah, the last weekend I was in Houston and the and a weekend before I was in Dallas. I went to a 50th birthday party of my buddy. And um, this past weekend I went to a great wedding of um, of a good friend of mine's son and um so i'm just wondering you know where, where'd you get texas i mean are you you got some girlfriends down there or what, what, <laughs> what's <wish>. going on
2: <laughs> um no actually i developed a pretty good book of business just i mean it kind of just fell in my lap with these people but um with it's mostly just investors okay um, a lot of foreign investors, and then just some people that like having a lot of rentals.
1: I was surprised because we stayed. I mean, we obviously went to Dallas and Houston, so it was a good taste of each market. And then, you know, coming back from the hurricane, uh, Houston market looked pretty sharp. I mean, everything, yeah, the growth and the cranes and all that stuff, pretty awesome. It's an enormous city, by it's, the way. Yeah, it's, it's enormous. Like, I, don't I think it has think like covered three but, downtowns or something. Yeah. <laughs> we were right by Rice, uh, the hotel we were staying at. But in Dallas, that was amazing. I mean, with the the amount of um cranes and construction you know commercially downtown was mm-hmm. was over the top so so i know they're they're as strong as ever which yeah is great. dallas
2: has a lot a lot of high-end residential properties there um i mean three million and above is just like normal
1: normal that's normal. that's, that's yeah. the
2: norm there it's it's kind of it's crazy how just fast it kind of is, is developing too like you said there's cranes everywhere yeah they're just constantly building and improving their city texas and north carolina I'm working on my North Carolina license, but those have been kind of two states that I've really wanted my license in because from the beginning, you know, I was big on social media marketing and we have a couple of loans that no one can do. And I was getting a lot of calls from people in Texas or North Carolina that wanted these loans.
1: So what allows you to do loans in both states? You have to have a license. You have to have a license. Because you're not working for a bank.
2: Yes. So if you work for a bank, you don't need a license. Um, You just have to be registered.
1: Yeah. I don't think most people know that, but if you're working for a bank, it doesn't mean that they're not. You know, a good loan officer, but they're really not a loan officer, right? Yeah, I mean, they're not like, a loan a loan originator. There's a p- specific license for it.
2: Yeah, and it's
1: and if you're not if, very if you're working test. for for a mortgage company, which they're not FDIC insured, mm-hmm. correct? You know, you have to have a license for every state that you're that you're offering your your product in. I mean, what was amazing is you got your license, and typically the you know, if you're younger in this business, you would work for a bank first. Yeah, um, the Collect way that a I a nice little base and yeah. So call with the, the bank,
2: day. you get you get a big salary, or not a big salary, yeah. but the majority of your
1: paycheck salary. Big for considering you were making nothing. Yeah. Playing baseball. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything's big. <laughs> so usually like like a bank, I the way that I You're You were working <laughs> for
1: below minimum wage when yeah. you added up all the time in the cages and and oh, working out and stuff, right? You're probably yeah. making like a dollar fifty an hour. Yeah, tra- but um
2: Yeah, it was very nice. So anyway, trying I'm to sorry. take a girl I'm out on a five hundred dollar monthly salary. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, I compare it just obviously with baseball. You know, the bank is kind of the minor leagues. You're not living or dying by the loan. If the loan closes, you get a little extra. If it doesn't, you still get your salary. Right. Um, where I'm at, it's 100% commission, so I need this loan to close. I'm just like right. the realtor I'm working with. If hey, the loan doesn't close, no, no one gets paid. No yeah, so one spe-
1: yeah, I mean, that's so true. I mean, speaking speaking with the realtors, I mean, the realtors, what do, what, what do they want in these days? I mean, when they call you... I mean, you've obviously met them, or they met you through uh-huh. what, whatever the case is. Is they know you, right? They have um, a client in their car. They've been showing houses this side of the others. You you're probably pre-qualified. I mean, what what do they? Tr- what do you think the basics are that the that the that the agent is looking for, and a loan officer for the loan to close on time. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's I, all I, I mean, they care about, so they can get paid. Yep. So everybody. I mean, what's beautiful about this with the real estate agent and the loan officer working together? It's they're all driving to the same goal mm-hmm. you know and the goal for the homeowner obviously he signed a purchase agreement yeah. so they would want to close and the title um, company
2: wants it to close and the
1: ti- everybody everyone
2: wants it to close and the person holding the ball who's a license originator is usually 100 commission that they want it to close too all so- right so
1: so tell me a so, story like what happens when you pre-qualify someone so i know that there's loose terms around pre-qualification oh, yeah. so you pre-qualify and the agent's like great they're approved for a $180,000 home. They go to under contract with this letter and all of a sudden it goes to underwriting and they're not approved. It's like the agent's head flips around. The clients are like, what's going on? I thought I had a letter. Is it legal binding? You know." So what's, g- give us some little inside behind the scenes scoop of what's actually going on.
2: Okay. Yeah. So the pre-qualification process is essentially, we're asking a lot of questions about your income and assets. And we don't have anything to base it off of. We're just taking that client's yeah, word. Yeah. So, I mean, so
1: so it's... it's. Do
2: you know exactly how much you make to the penny a year?
1: Do I? Yeah. No.
2: Exactly. <laughs> no one really does, <laughs> even if they're on salary. Right. Um, and it's all about what, what we can document. So when that happens, it's usually um, the lender issued the prequal letter without looking at any supporting documents, you know, pay stubs, W-2s, tax returns, bank statements, which is fine in the beginning. Just let the realtor know. Let the buyer know. Hey, this is just based off of what you told me. Really need these documents X, Y, and Z. Right. Just to ensure there's not going to be any trouble with your loan.
1: So, I mean, a typical prequalification letter can be baked with with a lot of um, uh, responses from verbal, mm-hmm. and then it also can be can be set up with actual fact. Yeah. You know, so, so there's different levels of pre-qualification. It sounds like. Uh, or, or 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 the actual final letter. What is the final letter? That's like a loan like, commitment? Yeah, a commitment. Is that is that, you know, legal? Like binding? Like that's gonna be committed, or there's always like it's, it's anything
2: can pop up. So with we've a loan committed commitment. Committed with
1: the exception of showing me this, that, or the other.
2: Essentially. So yeah. a loan commitment is after the first round of underwriting. Usually there's two rounds. The first round, underwriter looks at it and goes, Hey, here's your conditional approval. Here are the conditions that I need. So if you give me another the conditions to be like, hey, I need one more pay stub, updated bank statements, whatever that might be. So you have four conditions listed. That loan commitment says, hey, this we are committed to this loan as long as the, bar, the buyer provides us X, Y, and Z. So now it, we have a loan commitment that's quote unquote might be legally binding, but it's still up to the buyer to provide these documents. And each document that we get could arise more questions by the underwriter. Hopefully it doesn't, but it you know there's there's a chance so it's not a fully approved loan but it's pretty much hey 99.99% of the 99.99% chance of this closing
1: so that so that second process is interesting so the second time it goes through underwriting that's sort of like right before it's going to close right
2: like it could be so, 10 days before it could be 3 days before if you so have to rush it so you get it. the
1: approval let's say 45 days and it's pretty tight so their loan to value is right on the cutting you know the cusp yeah, just of a, approval and rejection. Right. Mm-hmm. So aren't you like a nervous wreck? I mean, do you tell your clients, Hey, look, I know you want to go and buy that TV. Don't buy anything. Don't put anything on your, you know, like stuff like that. I mean, is it, I
2: mean, that's one of the first things I do is I send them a letter, um, or an email with a flyer that just says mortgage don'ts. Yeah. And just <laughs> have do have not set. do it's this. Like a,
1: it's like oh, a template. Yeah.
2: I got burnt once and it's <laughs> like, this isn't happening again but in the beginning a loan officer lender is going to know if the file is going to be tough or not just set expectations right um just let the let the realtor know like hey don't spend your commission check early on this one you know think of this almost as like a bonus because i mean there's n- there's no file that you ever get's going to be 100
1: i mean are you able to share some of this information with the agent or do you you know you've, you play that out or how, how does that work
2: depends on the buyer if they i mean i'd like them to at least send me an email just saying, hey, it's okay yeah. for me for me to talk Usually about their they numbers, do, right? Yeah. Usually they don't care. I mean, it's
1: not like you're telling them, hey, they they had some flaw or anything. It's more about moving forward to close. Yeah. These are the things to watch out.
2: Because you really you got to work with your realtor.
1: Absolutely, um, yeah.
2: Because the buyer is going to establish more trust with the realtor than with the loan officer.
1: They've been with them longer. Yeah, yeah, they've
2: been with them longer. They've Makes probably sense. known each other for three months. Been looking at houses, and now I'm just thrown in the middle of it. I could tell the buyer, hey, don't do this. And if the realtor says, hey, do this, they're going to listen to the realtor 100% of the time, even though I'm on the financial side. So you really need to work with the realtor and just let them know like, hey, you know, DTI debt to income ratios are tight here. Hey, we might have a little problem here. Just being transparent is key.
1: I mean, do you find that there's more or less people that are actually asking for more than what they should get?
2: Oh, everyone is asking. I want more.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, do you see anything, any issues coming down the pipe? I mean, I know it's still pretty tough, right? I mean, you yeah, can't it's, just, it's very regulated. I mean, because in the past, when you were a youngster, I think they would tie them up to a, you know, a heart monitor, and then if they had a heartbeat, you yeah, know, pre-recession, you're yeah, like this you're guy's gonna, good, he's good alone. to go.
2: <laughs> well, back then you had um, it was called stated, stated. Um, so pretty
1: much stated, stated. What, what I was talking about earlier
2: mean? with the prequel letter, where you just tell me how much you make. They would just tell the underwriter, "Hey, this is how much I make." Underwriter goes, "Perfect." So they could lie. They could say, "Hey, I make a hundred thousand dollars a month," and the underwriter goes, "Perfect. Sign them up." You can't no, do crazy. that anymore. You
1: can't. Thank God.
2: Yeah. yeah. So now yeah. We, we're we're really taking the steps to make sure, like, hey, you can financially afford this
1: mortgage payment. But still, people do push.
2: They do push because they want to live outside their means, and you know, there's not, you know, this buyer might be able to do that because they save a lot of their money, but. You know, statistically speaking, we don't want like 45 to 50% of your income. We don't want more than that going towards your mortgage payment. Because, I mean, think about that. Half of what you make a month, you're spending on your house. That's a lot. That's a lot. You have your other debts, too. You know, you might have a car payment, credit card I thought bill. it was like
1: 40. Depends on the lender. Yeah.
2: Depends on the lender. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're we're pretty aggressive
1: with our ratios. Crazy stuff. Well, I, t- I tell you what, um, we'll be back after these messages. This is James Ramos with jamesramos.com. Follow me on Twitter at JRTPA. This is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. I'm here with Graham Ramos. Graham is a loan originator. Um, his actual title is a loan consultant uh, with Loan Depot. And we were just talking about his consultant piece i think it's a very appropriate name so we're talking about debt to income ratios okay so what what would you say is the i mean what's the bare the 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 bare minimum or the, or the height of it
2: like the the absolute limit you can get to depending on the loan program you know conventional loans and jumbo loans are right around 43 to 45% okay but like a So that means loan. if you
1: make 2000 is it gross or is it net?
2: Gross. So this is before okay, so, taxes So this too. is before
1: taxes. So, yeah. so you make $2,000 a month, okay? And it's 1000 but it yeah, doesn't mean that you're taking home the other $1,000. The other 1000 you could be using. It's net of your taxes if you save money for your 401k, if you get medical taken out. So I mean, literally, you know, you could be pushing 65, 70%.
2: Of, a, of what you clear.
1: Yeah, that's... It's crazy. So so what do you tell folks that, that are pushing you? And I mean, saying, oh, the, I think it's going to be good.
2: At the end of the day, it's their decision. Right. I, I let them know like, hey, you're basically spending almost, you know, it says here 50% of your income is going towards this, but this is before taxes. So like, this is your max. Just be aware of all this. You know, you have to educate them. I mean, at the end of the day, I can't tell someone what to do. They really want that house, and they want to spend all their money on this house every month. I mean, that's it, their decision.
1: Are these? I mean, let's. Well, let's get specific. I mean, are these people all ages, or they're specifically younger, older?
2: All ages. All ages. Honestly, yeah. I'm not a financial advisor, but just speaking with them, about 20 to 30 percent of your income should go towards your housing. And Tops tops like yeah, that. that that should be your max right and like i said i'm not a financial advisor but just from speaking with them right. that's what they say
1: but i mean your role is heavy consulting i mean yeah in, in a and sense i mean 20 it's, it's of deal. the loans
2: that i do they're in that 20 to 30 percent range everyone else is above that
1: wow that's a big deal. So, I mean, it's sort of like going to the doctor. I mean, people go to the doctor and they're expected to listen to his orders. And then you go and I obviously listen to them or not. So, yeah. I mean, when people don't listen to them, what are you going to the doctor for? Just don't even go to the doctor. I guess it, they just want to know that they're, like they're that, still messing up. Give folks, I don't know. People, you know, you give them advice. You're like, hey, this is, you know, really not a good ratio. And even though you're approved, you need to watch out and and they still go they and still take that go. deep mortgage. I mean, maybe it's something, maybe they're thinking, hey, I'm gonna get that next promotion. I'm gonna get, I mean, what's what's fascinating to me is in, whether it's Dallas, Houston, or specific, specifically Tampa, I mean, you see so many multifamily mm-hmm. and, and apartments going up and they're expensive. I mean, I know you were renting a place and a lot of your friends are renting a place. Um, you ended up buying your own and you rented to some of the folks, which was pretty smart that yeah, were in one your, of my uh, best friend yeah.
2: <laughs> rents from me, splits everything right down the middle, yeah,
1: which is great. What are you seeing of these youngsters? Like, I mean, these apartments are not cheap. They're
2: not cheap. they would be more than your mortgage. The rent is, uh,
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, so how, how can they afford it? They really well, What's can't. the rationale? I mean, are they think waiting about it. to hit it rich or they're going to get that next promotion or they're going to buy a house or waiting to save? I mean, That's, I don't really connect. I don't get
2: it. I, I don't connect either. I mean, actually I, I've, I never rented. I lived at home for fourteen months. (laughs) For fourteen months (laughs) I lived at home. I think it was your
1: buddies that I'm talking about. Yeah, because I wanted to rented a little bit.
2: I wanted to save up money so I could buy a house. So I wasn't just throwing away paying someone else's mortgage renting. So it
1: was a tough fourteen months. I'll tell you that. Well, it was with benefits. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you're saving so much money. You, Why wouldn't you do that? You weren't malnourished that? by no means. By no means.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was not spending any money because I could eat at the house, living for free, not paying utilities. But uh, yeah, that helped me buy a house. And so instead of me renting for, I mean, I would probably would have had to rent for three years before I could save up enough money to buy. But Instead, I bought just after 14 months.
1: So these millennials that are renting, we obviously have established that, right? I mean, you've you've seen it. You know how much they're paying. A lot of these places are super expensive. I mean, when you think about it, what are they going to want when they're starting to get into the housing market? Well, they don't... are, Are they... I mean, it seems like their patients are... Shorter than well, ever they, before. they want their dream house
2: their first house. They want their dream house
1: as if they're gonna live there for the rest of for their the life. rest of
2: Their life and what I tell them think of your first house as just your investment to get into that dream house It right. doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles. You can just survive
1: in there. So it's a lot of emotion I mean, uh, Yeah you, I mean, it's if somebody wants their dream house and they have money to not it's it's sort of like you're again back to the Consultant you're like talking them off the ledge at some point. I would imagine Yeah. They're they're like so depressed when they go in, in the neighborhood that they may have grown up in or close to where they grew up in. And they're envisioning, you know, what they want. And they don't realize that their parents or the home that they grew up in is probably a tenth of the price that they're having to spend. Parents who have done really well are in that house. And if they had to buy it today, they wouldn't be able to afford it.
2: Exactly. I mean, think about like, what do you remember when you were eight years old? Pretty much nothing so the only thing that you remember i remember is, my
1: brothers beating me up no, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> or drowning me in the pool or you know some some malicious act
2: but the only thing that us millennials really remember growing up is when we're like maybe in our teens middle school high school and that's when our parents are finally in their dream house so we don't remember the whole right i'm trying to think of the polite word here but the not so nice house that we probably all grew up in the beginning so that's that's what's ingrained in our heads it's okay we need that big house now no don't get that now i got a townhouse south of gandhi in a shaky neighborhood but you know i'm in a gated community and it's gonna it's gonna appreciate and then when i'm ready for that dream house i can sell my house now i have the down payment i'm not for sure i'm not really spending any money yeah though.
1: yeah so it's always been a challenge for me to understand and get in the minds of some of these guys because i mean i remember when i was young we got married connie and i got married um we were what it was 93 so i was 23 i was two and you were two. yeah. You were a little young, youngin. But we saved money. We bought a TV. It was this TV that weighed like nine million tons. It was this big Sony TV. I needed wasn't like a, a flat a, screen, a tractor trailer to bring it in my house. But I was so proud of it, and it was so darn expensive. My wife was like, "I don't know if we're going to be able to make the payments and all that stuff," you know. And we bought a washer and dryer, and and I just don't think that some of these young guys and gals are really like have any interest in buying like a washer and dryer, like. What are you gonna buy a washer and dryer for? It's it's in my apartment. I have one. Uh, uh, you know? oh, they
2: don't realize that just because you bought a house, well, like there's so much other stuff you have to buy. I mean, once you buy a house, you're gonna spend so much of your money. Just I mean, do you know how much a ladder cost? Just a simple ladder. That's a couple hundred yeah. bucks.
1: Well, I tell you, you know, we 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 kid about the millennials, but they're so smart. You guys are. I mean, you guys are able to balance so many things more than anyone ever before, um, whether it's, you know, your phone and doing all the things that you can do on your phone or your computer or the way you guys communicate. I mean, it is it is unbelievable, you know, and the work and the productivity that I've seen and the folks that are focused, you know, Yeah. Um, and we, I mean, we kid about, you know, being a millennial and things like that. But but when you when you look at. Um, in your business, I mean, you had mentioned, you know, you're at the average age is in their 50s, right? The low 50s. Yeah. Um, and it's very similar to in realtors. Um, so how do you feel like, I mean, what do you guys do? Do you go out and hang out with a bunch of 50 year olds? Or, or, I mean, do you find yourself hanging out more obviously with realtors your age or, or things? Um,
2: well, realtors my age usually aren't that most productive. <laughs> they're not, they're not <laughs> producing that much, they're just starting out. So I'm hanging out with a lot of older people and you just have to just be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's the best way to put it. Uh, find, you know, yes, they're they're 20-something years, 30 years older than me. Find something new to connect with them with. Don't have them see you as the young, immature 20-year-old. You know, actually be mature.
1: I mean, where do you see the future in real estate? I mean, do you see anybody intervening between the loan officer uh, and, yeah. and taking the loan officer out?
2: I don't think the loan officer and the realtor will ever Officially go away, they'll still be there, right? But technology is definitely going to disrupt this industry. Um, it keeps
1: on, I mean, they're trying every yeah. day. I mean, these, these, these I mean, web of, companies are putting in hundreds of millions of dollars to make it more convenient for these oh, consumers, billions,
2: billions, billions with a B. Um, I mean, think of like Netflix, you know, Blockbuster was around forever. Netflix came out of nowhere because they had the technology piece, killed them. Amazon was a bookstore, they had the technology piece. Now they're going to control the whole world, it seems like. Um, it's it's going to happen in the mortgage world and real estate world when we don't really know. I know my company, Slum Depot, is very big on disrupting the industry with technology. Um, we're, we're putting a lot of things into place that hopefully will start rolling out next year and the following years.
1: I mean, you want to look back and you want to say, you know what? It's very few transactions in their lifetime. It's a very personal deal, it's mm-hmm. the largest investment one can make for their family. So you're wondering, like, you know, what is that agent? what is it going to, what are they going to look like? What is that loan officer? What are they going to look like? How, how, not as far as like, per, you know, what they're going to look like as far as what they look, you know, their face and their, yeah you know, their body size, <laughs> but, but like, is it going to be a guy that's on the computer? Um, uh, you know, that could be in a state uh, that's not in your state, like somewhere just, up in Michigan, yeah, a web and conference a and, and things, or it, you know, it I don't could know.
2: potentially well get to that point. Uh, but at least you're still talking to a human and not a computer. Um, but there, there is going to be a lot more technology involved, but at least you can still contact your loan consultant. I mean, when the technology comes and disrupts, the consultant part is going to be really big, where we're just going to be literally advising you throughout the whole way instead of really controlling the process. I yeah. think that's where it's going to change.
1: Well, how would people get in touch with you, Graham?
2: Uh, to get in touch with me, um, obviously, the phone is the best for me. Uh, number is 813-493-2189 or even just a simple email at gramos at com.
1: Well, it's great to have you, bud. I appreciate your time today. We're here with Graham Ramos. He's a loan consultant with Loan Depot. He's licensed in Florida and Texas. Give him a call. Uh, my name is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. I'll catch you next week. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed all of the program or want to hear it again, listen
2: to the podcast on JamesRamos.com or on YouTube at Ramos Media Network. See you next week with Ramos Design Build, Tampa Bay's premier real estate, design, build, and construction company.